My name is Will Spencer, and you're listening to the Renaissance of Men podcast. My guest this week is the pastor of East River Church in Batavia, Ohio, plus the author of the book, It's Good to Be a Man, and the new host of This is Foster, Practical Theology for Men. Please welcome Pastor Michael Foster. You are the Renaissance. I believe it's a feature, not a bug of our modern age, that a good portion of our lives today are lived online. I stopped mailing out vinyl and cassette copies of this podcast years ago, so I'm pretty sure you downloaded this from the internet, which means I'm not an internet Luddite and can't be if I want to be in integrity. Besides, I think on balance the internet has done as much to create for people a certain freedom of mind, even as it enslaves more of our time. So the way I break this down is as follows. An online life is meant to be supplemental to your offline life, not a substitute for it. Again, life online is a supplement, not a substitute. Let's use a food example to illustrate. Whey protein is a supplement, not a substitute for other kinds of food. If you need to get more protein in your diet and you can't eat more beef, chicken, fish, etc., you down a couple scoops of whey protein and add 40 grams to your intake, no problem. But whey protein is not a substitute for solid food. It doesn't market itself as such and shouldn't be used as such. It's meant to supplement your intake instead. I apply the same rule to online dating, whether using websites or apps. Your online dating life should supplement, not substitute your offline dating life. You should be meeting at least as many potential partners in your everyday life as you swipe through them online. This means meeting people at church, in small groups, being introduced by friends, or just talking to random people in public. If you're avoiding becoming someone physically desirable in offline life, away from the screens, you're hiding from the hard work necessary to meet a spouse. As Pastor Doug Wilson says in his outstanding book, Get the Girl, be the kind of man, the kind of woman you'd want to marry, would want to marry. The key word is be, as in become, as in embody. Not because you curated your profile expertly, but because you've actually become that thing. You'll find that far more rewarding, I think, than swiping. So this is how I see online life as supplemental to offline life. I think online life is largely a good thing, and the negative effects can be moderated if we keep it in the proper place. Hooray! And this also applies to faith. As James writes in his epistle, chapter 1, verses 22 to 25, quote, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty, and continues in it, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. End quote. If James were alive today, he might have to add that we not be hearers only, and also not posters only. Because it's super easy to, again, get involved in social media debates and discussions, listen to sermons on YouTube, and heck, even listen to this podcast, and think that's somehow Christianity. Lots of men seem to believe this, and they're wrong. Again, apply the supplement-substitute heuristic to your Christian walk. Are your online activities, as in the ones that need to be connected to the internet, 
supplementing your offline activities, or are you using them for a substitute? Be honest. Now look, I get it. It's an exciting time in American Christendom. The woke are going mask off, and it's fun owning the libs while tweeting about Christian nationalism, sharing righteous memes, and if you're like me, arguing with Roman Catholics and Eastern Orthodox. It's fun. It's cool. But you know what else is cool? Reading scripture, praying, going to church, evangelizing, serving, attending events, and being present. Those are more than just cool. They're righteous and godly, and they're where the meat of the Christian faith lives and has always lived forever. And yet, in the rush of online life, it's easy to forget that we are called to be offline Christians first and online Christians second. In the same way, our online Christian life is meant to be a supplement, not a substitute, for our offline, real-world Christian life. You're going to hear me talk a lot about this this year, encouraging you, as my listeners, to dig into your spiritual disciplines with your phones on airplane mode and your laptop closed. Because God may or may not be in the machine, but he's absolutely in his word. Which brings me to my guest this week. His name is Pastor Michael Foster. And while I'm guessing at least 99% of my audience knows who he is, for those of you who don't, Michael is a faithful preacher of that word in Ohio, plus a husband, father, podcaster, and pretty successful Twitterer himself. He's the author of a book you've probably read called It's Good to Be a Man and the host of the County Before Country Conference. And in God's providence, I probably wouldn't be the Christian I am without him. But what sets Michael apart, if you ask me, is not just his impactful online ministry. It's that he has such a vibrant and successful offline life as well. In an age when many are getting ever more terminally online, Michael has decided to focus on the impact he can have on the real-world people around him, including the men and women of his church and his family. In other words, he could have become a very big deal TM online, and he kind of has been. Canon Press turned his hit book, It's Good to Be a Man, into a documentary, which I really enjoyed. But instead of doubling down on that life, he's turned to focus his energies on the people around him who need him, the people for whom he's irreplaceable, rather than just another creator of content. And I think that's admirable, very admirable, and a model for all of us to follow during a year when I expect our devices and their engineers will attempt to drag us ever deeper in and trap us there. So I hope you're ready for a stiff dose of reality, pun intended. But I give you permission to listen to the podcast first, and then, you know, you can start after. In our conversation, Michael and I discussed the purpose of a church, catechisms and confessions, the three doctrines of God to get right, formative and restorative church discipline, evangelicalism, fundamentalism, and individualism, the most important relationship in your life, character, discipline, and gravitas, and finally, finding mentorship in your church. For those of you who attempted to tune in to my live stream about the basics of biblical fatherhood on Monday the 29th, unfortunately we had to reschedule due to an illness of one of the panel members. That event has now been rescheduled for Monday, February 5th, and thank you for your patience. If this is the first you're hearing about it, the panel live stream will feature four outstanding Christian husbands and fathers who have blessed my life in meaningful ways. On the panel will be Nate Spearing, former U.S. Army Ranger and host of the Life on Target podcast, Matt Reynolds, the founder of the multi-million dollar strength training company, Barbell Logic, Brandon Lansdowne, a pastor and the head roaster of Reformation Coffee, and finally, a name you might not recognize, Garrett Barty, a former B-2 stealth bomber pilot 
and one of my most impactful teachers in 2024. I'm hosting this space because 2023 was a time of big Christian concepts in politics and culture, but there's been a gap in the discussion about, okay, so how shall we now live? What do we do as Christian men to cultivate fatherly Christian discipline to pass down to our wives and kids? For those of us who didn't grow up in Christian homes or who are looking to build one, this live stream will be your chance to learn from four men who are doing the thing. I'm humble enough to know that I can't teach you, so I hope you'll tune in to hear from the men who have taught me. Again, join us at 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern on YouTube on Monday, February 5th for this exclusive live stream featuring a panel discussion plus audience Q&A. And good news, YouTube finally monetized me. So if you'd like to be the first person to shoot me a super chat, that would be rad. Click the link in the description to get notified, and I'll see you on Monday, February 5th. And speaking of offline Christian living, in addition to this podcast and that panel on the topic, I have one more thing to share. In my online men's group, The Council, we've just started a 10-week study of the book Disciplines of a Godly Man by R. Kent Hughes. I cannot emphasize enough how important it is as men that we begin focusing on and cultivating our offline Christian lives, and this book is one of the finest I've seen on the subject. The Council is based on Discord and features more than 20 men supporting each other in growing in godliness and productivity. Many are former clients of mine, men that I've built close relationships with. We talk theology, news, books, nutrition, and fitness, films, prayer requests, and more. I'm an active participant in the Discord as well, so if you have questions or need guidance, there's a great way to reach me. It's also the place where I share big news, including about upcoming events, like a private men's gathering here in Phoenix in April, and more. This is a paid group with a reasonable monthly fee. So if you're interested in learning more and joining our study on Disciplines of a Godly Man, please email me at info at for more. If you enjoy the Renaissance of Men podcast, thank you. You can help the show grow by leaving a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, plus a five-star rating on Spotify, and share this episode or another one of your favorites with a friend. And finally, the Renaissance of Men podcast is proudly sponsored by Reformation Coffee, purveyors of fine coffee beans, hand-roasted by Pastor Brandon Lansdowne and his family in Springfield, Missouri. Brandon and Reformation are doing big things this year, stepping out and growing the business to help overthrow the dominion of woke globalist coffee and become the official coffee of Christian nationalism. And you can help him in that mission by going to ReformationCoffee.com and ordering one of his four signature roasts, Ethiopia, India, Brazil, and Guatemala. Also use the code SUBFREE when you sign up for regular coffee delivery to get one free 12-ounce bag on the house. Again, go to ReformationCoffee.com right now and sign up for regular coffee delivery, and when you use the code SUBFREE, you'll get a free bag of coffee. And please welcome this week's guest on the podcast. From This Is Foster and East River Church in Batavia, Ohio, Pastor Michael Foster. Michael, thanks so much for joining me on the podcast. Glad to be back, man. Well, before we get started, I just wanted to say thank you. You've actually played an enormous role in my faith journey. It was meeting you at 21 Convention in 2021 that got me and my buddy Sean pointed in the direction of Apologia. And uh, of course, that was a really big deal. And uh, you've helped me out a lot on Twitter and some of your book recommendations have stuck and they've really influenced me over the years. And of course, I've learned a lot from your preaching as well. So thank you so much for being a huge part of my Christian walk. Yeah, proud of you, man. We'd love to see what the Lord's been doing in your life. It's, it's an awesome thing. 
thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's been incredibly exciting. We, we I think the last time we talked was a couple of years ago. Uh, that was like January, February of 2022, and a lot's changed since then. Like in person, or or on a or on it, uh, on like the interview. Has it been that long since we did? Yeah, it? it was like February of 2022, March, something like that. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So a lot's changed uh, for me. A lot's changed for you as well conferences and documentaries and and yeah yep. church has been growing did i did i hear that you're you're planting a new church too yeah we're on our so we uh help plant um uh sterling or excuse me uh we we planted a church in mount sterling silver city church and now there's a new one uh that's going in out by wright forest air air force base kind of close to cedarville college I, it's like Little Miami Church or something. That BJ Newman is the lead planner and uh, will be the uh, mother church that will be supporting them through all that. Praise God. Congratulations. It sounds like you've grown really quickly out there. Yeah, yeah. We um, we like hit about 300 and then have been chilling there for a while. And then there's just been another sort of, we've, we've jumped up another 75 to 125 per week. So we've been up to 425 sometimes it's nuts so mm-hmm. just trying to take it a week at the time and now we're we don't want to we don't want to be multi-service but that might that might be part of our future we're, we're hoping to avoid that but buying and building takes time so yeah we're looking for land and and everyone's like well this plant churches well uh, it's actually hard to find qualified elders. You know, it's not exactly, mm-hmm. they don't just grow in trees. And if I could plant a church with qualified elders that like tomorrow I, I would, um, but uh, we're starting a, a pastoral apprenticeship program to bring people on and train them for two years in the practical side of the ministry towards the goal of trying to create a pipeline for guys that actually have the skills and experience it takes to plant a stable church. So working on that right now. That's perfect, because that leads kind of right into the questions that I wanted to start with. It seemed like 2023 was a year of big questions in culture and politics, of course, Christian nationalism and, and all of that being a part of that, and they're much more, much more. But one of the questions that didn't get answered during that time, as a whole bunch of men kind of flooded to the faith, including myself, how do we go about living Christian lives? Like, what does that look like when you switch off the internet, switch off Twitter, you know, and you have to go about the daily disciplines of being a Christian man, whether single, you know, boyfriend, husband, father, etc. What are those daily disciplines about? Like, how does Christianity begin to take shape in the lives of men offline? And that's something it sounds like you're tackling in your church. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, one of the main purposes of the church is to bring glory to God, to worship God. And in, in doing so to make disciples of men and women and <clears throat> disciples uh, require discipline and the spiritual disciplines uh, would be uh, participating in public worship week after week after week. So you'll, you'll see a lot of online Christians talk quite a bit about this or that thing, but really not have a serious commitment to the church. Yeah. And so I'm always harping on that. Uh, because f- people forget that daily devotions, like just going out to the woods and reading your Bible, wasn't a thing <laughs> until recently. There weren't just Bibles, right? So, so we don't we don't get Bibles to about 600 years ago in terms of like books you can carry around. And even then, they were really expensive. And uh, the way you got the Word of God is you you went and listened to it. 
you listen to it preached, and that's one of the reasons in the um, pastoral epistles, uh, Paul says, give attention to reading. That's so people could actually hear what the, the Word of God said, and they would hide it away uh, in their heart through memorization. And so public worship is the number one thing. Find a decent church and go there every Sunday. Uh, after that, it's read your Bible, pray, and fellowship with other Christians. And those are the basic uh, disciplines of, of a Christian life. If you, you know, there's this song that you learn when you uh, read your Bible and pray every day and you'll grow, grow, grow. Don't read your Bible and pray every day and you'll shrink, shrink, shrink. We would do that with our kids when we <laughs> did children's ministry. But it's true. Is uh, Nothing grows a, a Christian like a weekly fellowship and then read the Bible and praying. And I and the thing is, it's not it's not super exciting, you know. Some mornings you wake up and read your Bible, and you're like, "Huh, I don't know what to take away from that." But as as you do that day after day, right, week after week, month after month, year after year, you grow immensely. You just know God's word, and you hide it. And as you pray, one reason um, a lot of people have trouble sleep. We've talked about this a little bit. Um, is uh, they're not offloading their anxieties. Through prayer, right? Cast your cares upon me, for I care for you, right? First Peter 5, 7. Um, and so one of the reasons you have to, uh, one reason that people are so wore down and so anxious is that they're spending all their time reading crazy news stuff and, and spending no time praying. Like one way that you have the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is by giving everything over to the Lord in prayer. And so when you read the Word, you you grow in the knowledge of the truth. When you pray, you, you grow closer to God. You also, it gives you this incredible peace that the world can't understand, you know. And and, you, and so you can get all these little, well, everyone on Twitter loves bullet points, right? They love like 10 things or get married or find a wife, get married, have nine kids, whatever. Um, everyone loves all that stuff. But if, you, or if you're given a checklist of things to do, that will bring you peace, you're going to find really quick that most of them don't. The only thing that really brings you peace is, is a fellowship with God. And when you're fel fellowshipping with God through his word and through prayer, two simple things, uh, it allows you to approach those things without sort of that anxious spirit. And that's what I see lacking. Like everyone, <laughs> all these guys to me, they're like women kind of. Um, it, it, there's a little bit of chicken little stuff going on. And I know the world's, the world is falling apart. I get it. They're like, it's bad times. But I'll get, what do you think? What are you going to do if there's nuclear war? And I'm always like, I will die. <laughs> I'm going to die. Like, what are your plans to survive the coming, you know, dystopian <laughs> apocalypse? I am really hoping they don't happen for a while. <laughs> so, yeah. but, but it's, it's interesting to me, like how, and that's why I think you're such a, an attraction to certain elements of eschatology is that it, it allows you to spiritualize your fears and, and your addiction to news by giving every single news story like some weird spiritual significance, like finally, now we know who the Antichrist is or these blood moons show that I'm right to be full of fear. Uh, but, uh, but when you are in doing those basic spiritual disciplines, it, it really does anchor you in things that matter more and gives you that peaceful spirit that just the world can't compete with, you know? So that's what I'd like to see these guys do 
is like, hey, keep being you. There's all sorts of there's there's room for disagreements on things like eschatology. It's not a big deal. Sure. But um, but but if you're not going to church and you're not in the Word, if you're not praying, like, I don't really care about your opinions as a Christian. Like, uh, you 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 don't seem to know how to value what actually matters. You know, you're just kind of platforming. That's all you're doing. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate you saying all that because that's that's something that's blessed my life so much over the past year is making a, da- a daily discipline of scripture reading. And that's where I started, scripture reading and prayer. Start the day with scripture reading and the day with prayer. And those two things alone have facilitated so much growth in me to bring about the peace that you're talking about. And I see so many um, young men and women getting kind of caught up in the cultural flows and the political flows. And I get it. It's an election year. I get that there's a lot of conflict out there. I get that, you know, they've kind of taken the constraints off of Twitter. So it's kind of a more free flowing, you know, <laughs> it's a little crazy right now. Yeah, a little crazy. Yeah. But it's so easy to get caught up. And that's like, whoa, let's pull back a second and focus on the actual spiritual disciplines of everyday Christian living in a way the world is absolutely not going to teach you or invite. Um, so I, I did have a couple follow-up questions uh, for sure. what you said. So um, let's talk about a couple things. What does it mean when you say find a decent church? Like what what does that mean? And let's talk about what prayer actually is because I don't I didn't actually know how to pray. Like I had to be taught how to pray. I know that of course I can just talk to God, but I know that there are probably better, worse, more effective, less effective. Let's say ways to do that. So these as speaking about these basic disciplines, what does it mean to find a decent church? Let's talk about. That's a hard one, man. Uh, So, um, one huge principle comes from. So, first off, anyone that's listening, if you want to grow immensely in your walk in the Lord, uh, one book. Here's two books to pick up. It's G.I. Williamson. So, like William S. O. N. Pick up his study guide on the Westminster Confession of Faith, and pick up his study guide on the Westminster Shorter Catechism. Westminster Shorter Catechism studies fantastic. He covers 107 questions. It's about two page per question, maybe three sometimes. So it's like really digestible, like easy for you to read, like two, three pages a day or five days a week. Mm. And and uh, he's a really good teacher, very ironic, uh, easy to read, good prose, has study questions at the end of each chapter. If you really want to grow, just fill out those study questions. Um, but that'll be really helpful uh, to help you grow in your basic knowledge of just what is uh, – so. Most theology is based off uh, the Lord's Prayer, the Ten Commandments, the Apostles' Creed. So when you look at like systematics, they usually are organized around those ideas. So even the shorter catechism uh, is built around the Ordu Salutis, the order of salvation. Here's how, here's like why man needs to be saved. Here's how he's saved. And then after it gets through that, then it ends with the Ten Commandments. So that's the ethics, explaining the significance of the Ten Commandments. And then, uh, and then with uh, the the petitions of the Lord Prayer, how to pray, and Williamson walks you through all that stuff. So much of Protestant theology is downstream from the catechisms, and so having a good understanding of the catechisms is kind of a shortcut to understanding all sorts of things. Uh, so that's a good place to start. <clears throat> the reason I bring up the catechisms and the confession, one of the points that the confession makes is that. All churches exist on a spectrum of, of purity, right? They're, they're all various degrees of pure and impure. And, and no church is perfectly pure. And there's some churches that are so corrupt that they become synagogues of Satan, is what they'll say. So there are some churches that claim to be churches that aren't churches at all, right? They've just gotten that corrupt. 
And but every other every church is going to be imperfect. And you're going to have to deal with those imperfections in the church, just like people have to deal with imperfections in you. Right. And so some of the things I look for in a church is a clear teaching um, on the nature of God's grace. Right. That is truly unmerited favor, that you cannot earn salvation, uh, that you have to be born again. And that's a gift of God. And but also a call to holiness that having been born again, having been a recipient of this free grace, that we are so transformed that out of our new nature and gratitude, now that we want to be holy and the Holy Spirit's working in us to make us more like God. So those are what I'd look for in the preaching. The three doctrines that you have to get right is the doctrine of God, that God is triune, Father, Son, and Spirit, equal in essence, um, but distinct in their persons. And... <clears throat> or his persons, I should say. And uh, then the doctrine of man, that mankind, it was created in the image of God. They fell from their original position with God. And now they are in a state of uh, condemnation and they need salvation. And, uh, and through redemption, they, can, they are starting to be restored to from which they, they, they fell. So that gets us to the doctrine of salvation. And so if, you, if those three things have to be right, you can have a good doctrine of God, doctrine of man, doctrine of salvation. That church is going to go heretical. It can have a lot of other goofy things. You can have like churches that believe in the gifts of the Spirit. I don't. I don't think they're around anymore. Not at least in the sense that they were in the first century. Um, I'm what you'd call a cessationist. That doesn't mean I'm a deist. The world's weird. The Holy Spirit's still active. Strange things happen. It's just not a normal everyday part of of Christianity. And I kind of doubt it ever was, to be frank. Um, but uh, so, but I wouldn't divide with someone over areas. Uh, 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 I would, I would keep stay. I could stay in fellowship with someone. I disagree with that, or disagree on elements of eschatology, so the doctrine of the end times. Uh, for as long as you believe that Jesus is has ascended to the right hand of the Father and He's coming back in bodily form at sometime at the end of the age to judge the quick and the dead, uh, that that's acceptable to me. I don't need you to be post millennial. Um, I don't need you to be premillennial or whatever. So nowadays people are like, I need a church that's postmillennial. And I say, why? Because eschatology <laughs> matters. And I say, why? Mm. Right? Well, only postmillennialists are the ones building institutions, such as which institutions are you speaking of? Right? Frankly, a lot of the institutions that have been built over the last several decades that have been faithful have been built by premillennialists. That doesn't, that's not, that doesn't mean premillennial is right. I'm just saying that a lot of times the doctrine that people say matters to them, they don't always live in accordance with it. Some premillennials are having kids and building things and fighting for good causes, and some postmillennials are hiding and not active at all. So you have to really not just look for labels. You have to look for substance. So, again, those three major areas, and then listen to the preaching. Do they call sin out? Right. If you go to a church and you never squirm during the sermon and the sermons are just like these mealy mouth words of validation from guys that don't want to make anyone upset, well, then leave that church. That's not good for your soul. Right. We, we need someone to tell us, call us out for our sin. Right. So we want to repent and then extend to us and remind us of the wonderful grace that we have in Jesus Christ. Right. <laughs> so mm -hmm. uh, so those are the things you start looking for in a church. You don't want a church that like that has a woman, any women preachers, obviously, any women pastors. Uh, you you want to be aware of any church that cares about diversity, right? Like as like, I, I don't care about diversity. I care about partiality. But any church that's like, 
make someone a leader because of the, the melatonin or whatever. Like that's, that's the melanin, melanin, excuse me. Um, <laughs> I did take 15 milligrams of melatonin last night. Maybe that's why it's on the mind, but, uh, the melanin, um, but, uh, you know, there's, there's, a, there's, but those are the basic things. You, you can go check on the website. You can listen to the preaching. The preaching will probably tell you a lot. What I notice is people have listened to a bunch of my sermons before they come to my church. Um, and so you, you just have to go and check. It's hard. You got to find something. Just know wherever, wherever you go, there's going to be something that maybe you don't like so much. Maybe you don't like the style of the music, right? Maybe there's certain like a- affectations that the pastor does. A little great on you a little bit. But you need to find a place and just put down roots for a while. And uh, so find a good church. That's what I would say. Look for somebody that's decent. And if you can't find one, move. And I, I, I've done that before. And then I've, I, I, and it's good to be a man. I said, if you can't find one, you should plant one. But I don't think people understood. I don't mean that you just make yourself a pastor. I mean, <laughs> right. look for someone that's, for qualified people involved in a church plant and join that and support them. So, you, mm-hmm. so like work for Reformation where you're at, move somewhere else, or find someone else that wants to plant a new church. Those are your three options. And just look for a decent church. So uh, I was listening to um, your sermon from this past Sunday, just happened to YouTube suggested it. So I put it on. Oh, nice. It was, it was called, yeah, it was a truth and, was it truth and reconciliation or something like that? It was about church discipline. Truth and consequences. I changed the truth name like right before, right before I went up to the, I changed the name like at seven in the morning and I text the guys, I think I'll do truth and consequences. Yes. I, I mean, I really enjoyed that sermon. Um, and you spoke in that about the importance of church, dis- church discipline, especially yeah. over things like music. Like if you're going to pick a church to go to, obviously there are a bunch of uh, ways that, you know, the services are gone about different cultural things, but speak about the importance of church discipline, because that always seemed to be something very obvious to me about the Christian life, but it seems like it's not so obvious anymore today. Yeah. So I don't think most people even know what it means. They hear discipline. All they can think of is punitive and spanking. Um, there is no spanking in our church, uh, like not by by me of members. Uh, I do. Uh, my children have been spanked. Um, and in discipline's not always punitive. So discipline, like a disciplined individual is someone who like applies certain behaviors in, in their life. Right. They live out their principles. So um, the discipline is what a teacher does to their disciple. They discipline them. They teach them a certain way. Uh, so uh, there's a formative form of discipline that's forming the individual and a restorative. So forming is like, here's the way you ought to live. Restorative is you've gone off the way you ought to live. Let's get you back on the path, right? So even when you, when you do discipline a child, like spank a kid, and the goal isn't just to, it's not to punish them, like... It's, it's uh, generally to restore them to the right way. Say, hey, son, when you go away from uh, God's path, from God's word, it leads to destruction, right? Here's a tiny little taste of where there's like a little short like sting to your butt that'll last a few moments. That is uh, what, uh, what I want you to associate sin with, right, is pain and destruction. And, and the goal here is to, to remove you from that, to restore you back to the right way. So church discipline is through preaching. So the first step of church discipline is always admonition. So if you see a guy that's like, let's say a guy's just being really nasty to his wife or whatever, and you say, hey, Bob, 
you're really short with your wife and harsh with her um, in public. And I, I think if you're that bold in public, I, I got to imagine this is pretty rough at home. Um, we are called to live with our wife in an understanding way. And um, I would urge you to, to, to think about that, right? That's the first step, right? Mm-hmm. When you, even when it's restorative, it's just a, a simple word. There's nothing very formal or official. You're not, you're not sending out an email or making a public statement. You're just warning someone. Then if that does not work, you can repeat that step a couple of times. Then you go to Bob with someone else and say, Bob, we're we're growing in like we're growing in concern about what we see in your family. Your wife is haggard, your kids are haggard, you always seem angry. Um, and we've talked to you about this. Doesn't seem like you're changing. We both see this. It's not just me, it's not just personal. Uh, you know, Jed over here sees it as well. Uh, we want to urge you to rethink all what's going on in your life. Is there something we don't know? How can we pray for you? How can we help you? You know, if he tells you to bug off and get out of his life, you can repeat that step a couple times. But at some point, if someone will not listen and you continue to see patterns of sin and destruction in their life, uh, the elders have to come to them and they, or they're called to the elders. And even then, the goal of the elders is not to like put someone in their place, so to speak. It is trying to reconcile someone. It's trying to get someone uh, to reclaim disobedient sinners. Uh, but that's not the main reason we discipline people, isn't to reclaim people. Main reason we discipline people is because of the glory of God. Because churches are full of people who are fornicators and liars and um, cowards and, and full of whatever sort of lifestyle sins is a church that brings dishonor to God. And that's most churches in America. People come, to, they come to these churches and they say, well, you guys don't look anything different than the world. And then sitting Christians, Christians that aren't living in a life of holiness will say, well, no one's perfect. Well, no, no one's perfect, but the blood of Jesus makes you different. The blood of Jesus sanctifies you and changes your attitude and your language and your behavior incrementally throughout your life. Not all at once, of course. The idea that the church will look no different than just the, the non-Christian world is, is crazy, right? Um, the grace of God teaches us to, to deny all ungodliness in this age, you know, Titus 2.15. And so you want to <clears throat> you, you practice church discipline because you want God to get glory. And also sin is contagious. It's like yeast, right? It spreads throughout a body. And, and, and the final goal is to reclaim those sinners so they don't get pulled into a world of destruction. If they don't listen to you eventually, you say, fine, like we're going to excommunicate you. We're going to move you from the table um, and, and, and remove you from membership. And you, you want to live a life that goes against your confession and you want to go pursue sin? Well, you turn them over to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. See what this gets you. Like sin always, sin, is, sin feels great a lot of times. For a short period of time, then it catches up to you. And when it catches up to you, uh, you know, it, uh, it, it, takes, it takes a lot from you. Mm-hmm. I've, uh, as a member of Apology, I've sat in on two presentations to the church body about uh, ch- church discipline uh, for a couple married couples for different circumstances that I won't get into. You know, but by the time it gets to that point, like obviously the circumstances have gotten pretty severe. You get to see like the, the depth of people's people's rebellion and their commitment to sin. And then in another church, a, a friend of mine was being disciplined for um, uh, for sexual sin, for porn addiction. So it had, had, a, had sort of risen to a, a level of significance. And actually, as hard as those circumstances 
were to hear about, it actually brought me a lot of comfort to know that, no, like the people here at this church, like they're accountable for their behavior, right? You know, if it does, if it does rise to that level, like you rebuke in private and then you escalate, was it Matthew 18, the process, you bring a couple people and then you take it up. Like that's how people feel secure and safe in a church, knowing that there's a protection of doctrine, there's a protection of people from each other, right? And from wolves and all this stuff. But it, it, it it's apparently very unusual that churches do this, which is, I suppose I can come up with many now. reasons why. Yep. Yeah. Didn't used to be. Um, oh, okay. Used to be, used to be pretty common. Um, probably, so in America, what most Americans don't realize is that American Christianity went through an incredible change with two events. First, the Second Great Awakening. So that's with Charles Finney. <clears throat> and really, the, it brought sensationalism into American Christianity. So Charles Finney is a good one to understand. A great book on that is Revival and Revivalism. So the difference between true repentance uh, and and spiritual vitality and sort of manufacturing it. Great book by Ian Murray. You read that, that book will really help you. Then I would say the second uh, major event would be everything from Azusa Street with the Pentecostalism right around the 1900 um, up to uh, the, the start of evangelicalism in the 1930s. So that is where... <clears throat> Christianity started to be really about youth culture. You have things like youth in Christ come, come out. Mm. Um, and also about a sort of uh, just having a personal relationship with Jesus and, and conversion that you would have like at a Billy Sunday or a Billy Graham uh, sort of uh, crusade. And I would say that is more or less an extension of some of the stuff that came out of the Second Great Awakening. What that did is it made Christianity all about kind of an, an emotional experience and an emotional experience of the individual. Mm-hmm. And so when I speak of, so evangelicalism was it in fundamentalism was a response to the German liberalism that came into mainline denominations in the 1920s. So it was a response. And, and so in that sense, it's good. And so to be an evangelical is just to believe in the, that faith is necessary for conversion, right? So the ism is that sort of culture and church tendencies that came out of that evangelical uh, response. Fundamentalists, we think of them as don't smoke, don't dance, but what they were, they were responding to, uh, to the liberals and say, no, there are certain fundamentals that we all have to believe, like namely like the resurrection of Christ, the second coming of Christ, which a lot of these liberal mainline people re- were rejecting. So again, fundamentalism like turned into something bad. Like it's okay to be a consumer. You consume things. Consumerism is where you live to consume. Um, and so evangelicalism and fundamentalism led to this really huge change in American Christianity and uh, where it became all about the experience. It's all about the individual. It's all about invoking emotions. And it's almost all about pathos and not about logos at all. Um, and that's how we've got to where, where we're at, where it's hard for us to think in a corporate sense or a covenantal sense. Um, and it's also hard for us to we think of things like religion, which is just the, the practices and rituals associated with the belief system. We think of that as bad. 
Like, I'm not for religion. I'm for religion. I love religion, right? True religion, like scripture is all about that. False religion, I don't like. True religion is great. Well, I have a relationship with Jesus. Does that relationship with Jesus lead you to have practices and rituals? Well, I do. There you go. That's true religion. Welcome to the, welcome to biblical Christianity, you know? And um, so where we're at now is how dare you judge an individual for their heart? You can't know anyone's heart. I don't know. I don't know anyone's heart. I know the fruit, and that tends to be a reflection of their heart. You can't gather, uh, you know, apples from from uh, you know thorns. You can't. You don't get thistles from apple tree. Um, and so, uh, this idea that uh, a church would have the corporate power to to, to publicly discipline someone is, it just goes against the grain of the individualism and the feel good cheap grace that we've been experiencing for about. You know, increasingly for about 170 years. Evangelicalism Divided, another good book by Ian Murray. And it goes over kind of the split that happened uh, between guys like Martin Lloyd-Jones, uh, J.I. Packer, Stott, and all those guys. Anyone that wants to study kind of, if you want to understand American Christianity real quick, I would say read Revival and Revivalism and Evangelicalism Divided. And that will, that's kind of a shortcut. That was one of the most memorable things of our first conversation two years ago is that you gave me a list of like 10 or 12 books about Christianity at the time that I was absolutely not ready to read yet. Um, evidenced by the fact I just started reading Christianity and Liberalism by Machen, which you were nice. the first person to tell me. Yeah. It's an incredible book, incredible, yeah. incredible book. So now I have context. So I want to dig into evangelicalism and fundamentalism for a second because I've been trying to kind of reverse engineer how American evangelicalism got to the point that it's at today. And about as far back, and I remember um, I've heard a number of Protestant uh, pastors, particularly Doug Wilson, say, you know, they think that um, a lot of Protestants or a lot of evangelicals think that church history began with Billy Graham. And so like, I, I'm, that's about as far back as I've been able to take it. And I can definitely see a, a split between uh, Calvinist, you know, doctrines of grace and what was going on with Billy Graham. But that's as far as I've been able to get that maybe you know in the in the revivalist style of of sensationalist stadium preaching some finer points of doctrine kind of got sawed off and now here we are as it's gotten duller and duller is that is that about right was that a pivot point or is that just like a symptom rather than a cause one of the major ones i would just say again this uh, so <clears throat> one of the critiques of so like take george whitfield that i think is a, a critique worth thinking about so whitfield was Billy Graham before Billy Graham. So he traveled all around America preaching, British guy connected to the Wesley brothers. Um, and like huge, insane crowds would show up to fields to hear him preach. And he, it was, it was, that was really during uh, the first great awakening, keeping this straight. I am. Yeah. Um, and one of the critiques of Whitfield though, is that he was basically saying all the other, he was implying that the churches these people are going to weren't preaching the true faith and that he wasn't respecting parish boundaries and he was undermining the authority of the local pastor. Okay. okay. So there'll be all sorts of arguments on whether how true that is, but I would say one of the fruit you do see coming out of some of the, of the, those revivals is um, a loss of identification with their local church and their local pastor. Seems like that's kind of come down where, um, People like people that have online church who, who could I can't discipline someone I don't know, mm -hmm. right? 
Um, you, only if you're known in an actual community. So I think part of the problem is evangelicals just don't have a doctrine of church. They think church is just a place where you go to hear kind of a, a helpful, you know, sermon or something. And so you'll hear people nowadays say, I don't need, I don't need to go to church. I have MP3s, you know, I just listen to things online. And it, so if, if all a, if all a pastor is, is a preacher, right, then that's true. But a pastor is a shepherd. Preaching is something a pastor does. That's why I, I wouldn't ever want to be limited to just to be called a preacher. I'm a pastor. I'm a shepherd of souls. In the shepherd souls, I have to know people. And so I think there is a sort of um, uh, sermons became commodities. Uh, churches became less and less about being in community with one another, actually knowing each other and speaking into each other's life. And now in the internet age, it's all the more, all the you know, all the more exacerbated because uh, folks can get, you know, like I'll have people. You probably have people like this. I need advice. Here's my marriage problem. You know, and it's like <laughs> right. boom, right? This huge like chunk of stuff, and you're basically counting on the individual to know himself well and to be truthful, and because. If you give him counsel back, they'll say, well, Michael Foster said, and, um, but I'm only hearing one side of the story and I don't know him. And I will tell you, um, uh, I will tell you that I have heard guys tell me, like, here's one of my favorite stories. I had this guy tell me, I think my wife's a feminist and all this stuff. And, and I'm like, why do you think she's a feminist? Well, I, I, she doesn't want to have like 10 kids and I want to have 10 kids. And I was like, how many kids do you guys have right now? And he's like, we don't have any. And I was like, well, that'd be really like, like just start with one, okay? <laughs> you know, start with one. Right. So then they come out to visit our church and they're thinking about moving to our church. And if you're listening to this right now, I don't, don't think you are, but if you are, give me a call. Um, but they come out to our church, stay with one of our elders and uh, it comes out that he's been living in a, a, a single rented room with his wife in this house, right? Oh. He's got like multiple jobs. Does it have like he's, he's not able and he's thinking about going to seminary and ministry. And then he confesses um, in a forum that I, I moderated that he doesn't know if he's really saved because he's had a, um, a pervasive and consistent porn addiction for like years. Mm. Okay. Um, so then he comes out and, and we have dinner with him and his wife. And I told my wife, I was like, I like his wife. I think she's a normal woman. I don't think there's anything wrong with her. Actually. I think this guy is, uh, he doesn't realize that renting a room and having like a bunch of jobs and no direction in life is, and then telling a woman, I want 10 kids, like doesn't like engender trust in that woman. And yet he would go online and say, you know, my wife was a feminist and she divorced me because of whatever. And so I, I thought to myself, I was like, there's no way this relationship's going to work out. I, and, um, and I hadn't thought it. He like went back home, decided not to move out here. And then one day I was just thinking about him. And I was like, what would happen to that dude? And I told my associate pastor, I was like, I bet his wife has divorced him. So I texted him and I said, hey, man, how's it going? And he said, uh, not great. I haven't been to church in a long time. And, um, and I'm actually separated from my wife. And 
So this is going to be the guy that goes online and tells you how he married this feminist woman that hated children and divorced him because she wouldn't follow his leadership. Right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Dude, you're a loser. You don't have a job. You don't have clarity. You, 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 don't, you didn't just say one kid. You scared the heck out of her. If you've never been to a gym before and say, hey, let's do bench press. And they say, yes. You say, let's put, do 300 pounds. That's going to scare anyone, right? Um, you st- one step at a time. And so this is the issue right now with this online Christianity. Everyone's opening their hearts to you. But who knows if they're, like, representing themselves? They're, do they, are they self-aware? Are they giving you all the facts? Like, they may not even be lying. They may not be lying to you. They just might not know themselves. And you need to be in a church. Like I remember once I said something in front of my wife. You're like, you know how I'm like this. And my wife looked at me and said, "You're nothing like that." And I was like, "Yeah, I guess you're right." <laughs> so you need people in your life that will say, "You're not who you think you are, dude." Right? You you have this you know concept of yourself. You know, uh, yeah, you've taken all these personality tests, but you answer the questions to get the answers you want, you know, um, or to get the the results you want. And so I think a huge problem we're we're facing is that evangelicalism personalized Christianity and it has a low view of the of the corporate body that is the church. And therefore, anytime someone disciplines them, they say, you don't know me. How dare you judge my heart? And then they take off and then they go on online and whine about it. And everyone else rushes to to their like, oh, yeah, all the churches are bad and everyone's corrupt and all pastors overreach, you know, and all this stuff. That's that's where we're at right now. It is a little, you know, I don't I don't think all these women, there's terrible women like hands down. Feminism's cancer. But I don't think all these women are necessarily as bad as a lot of these red pill guys are saying. I think a lot of them just don't know themselves. And I don't think all these churches are quite a corrupt, as corrupt as people think they are. So what? Your church isn't post-mill. Post-mill is a minority position throughout most of church history that's gaining prominence right now. And it's still super small, even by, by its pro- gain in prominence right now. Um, so what? It's not post-mill. That's not, that's not a good reason to leave a church. You know, and but people will rage and leave churches. So I think this is something that I'm just kind of been processing. So I'm I'm uh, processing it with you right now. I love what I do. What is that you might add? Well, after mentoring dozens of men over the past couple years, they all tell me one thing. In my mentorship, I help men get unstuck. Men get stuck for all kinds of reasons. Maybe there are events in your past haunting you with regret. Sometimes there are sticky situations in the present that need a fresh perspective. Maybe you're having trouble envisioning your future. Meanwhile, some men have bad habits and false beliefs about themselves, the world, and God, some of which they inherited. And many of you have questions about the faith that you can't seem to find a pastor to answer, at least not in a way that doesn't feel like he's looking over his shoulder to see if there are women listening. I get it. These situations and many more are the kinds of things I help men with. It's what I've always wanted to do, long since before I set out on the road to travel, and I can help you too. This isn't therapy, where I listen benignly and nod without challenging you. I definitely don't have a problem digging in and getting hands-on with what you say. It's not a coaching program either, where I beat you over the head with a baseball bat. If you need that, I recommend you visit the Manosphere Department. It's in the basement. Instead, what you get in the mentorship is the same man you hear on this podcast. 
someone willing to listen, get to the bottom of things, point out the flaws, push back when necessary, and get you moving towards the truth of who God made you to be as a man. I am proud of this program and the results my clients have achieved, including significant amounts of weight loss, renewed marriages, unforgettable adventures, businesses started, new lives begun in new towns, expanded incomes, and genuine experiences of love and connection with family and friends, and the feeling of being really appreciated for once. There's more, but you probably wouldn't believe me if I told you. But let's just say I've seen for myself that with faithfulness and dedication, miracles are absolutely possible. Praise God. What could a mentorship with me do for you? The answers are as rich and complex as your life, and that's what I'm there for, to help you discover them. To learn more, visit renofmen.com mentorship and click enroll now for a free 30-minute explore call where we find out together what mentorship can do for you. On that page, you can view 10 video testimonials to get a sense of the kind of men I've helped and what their results have been. You don't have to take my word for it. It is my great privilege and blessing to be part of men's lives in a way that changes them, and I can assure you that it's not all me. A man once said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there in the midst of them. And that man plays a pretty big role in this process too. Again, if you're ready to get unstuck and get your life moving, 2024 is waiting. And so am I. Visit rentofmen.com mentorship to find out more. And let's get you going. No, I, I appreciate it because um, you, you, you have a great term, um, online Christianity. And uh, that's something that I've kind of discovered the existence of in the past few months. I'm part of it in a way. But a, a friend of mine name is Garrett. You know, he really encouraged me. Uh, it would have to be summertime last year. So 2023. It's like, well, you need to let people know that you're not a pastor. Like you need to be telling people on your podcast that they need to be under the care of a, of a church and not turn to you, Will, as a substitute for pastoral care. And I was like, you are absolutely right. Thank you for saying that to me. Because there does seem to be this, you know, men, they get, they follow Twitter accounts or they listen to podcasts or whatever it is, or, you know, they, they read a few books and they get around other bros and whatever online forum and they think that makes them Christian. Like, well, no, that's why I want to have this conversation about the spiritual disciplines. It's like, Christianity is not something that you do on your phone. Christianity is actually something that's better done when you put the phone down. And it's better. It's better yes. to have friends, to have people that care about your souls, have people that have hard conversations with you, right? How, like how many people have we seen? And so you and I have kind of a unique experience that we've seen both sides of, of the influencer space. Like we've seen their public persona and then seen their private lives and some are very bad, and there's a couple that are, like, good guys, but the, by and large, it's not good. Like, it, But what you notice about all these guys is how they all go through trends. And they're, like, talking. You remember when everyone was talking about CBD? Oh, CBD, CBD oil. It's like the, mm -hmm. or whatever it was. Like, everyone had, and that's because they're trying to monetize it. And now they don't talk about it at all, and they're on to this seed oil or whatever. They're always talking about something new. It's all these trends. Isn't it nice to be in a place where you have the unchanging word of God taught over and over again? And it's not a Amen. bunch of, not a bunch of like hobby horses, you know? And I, I, I don't care about most trends because by the time I put any time into it, it's going to be onto something else. 
So, so who cares? Like, that's what I love about confessionalism. I love Christianity that defines doctrine down on a piece of paper. Here's what we think the Bible teaches about the person of Christ, about the Trinity, about salvation. I like that because it's anchored, it's, it's, it's thought out. And um, I could say, well, you said you, you believed, you subscribed to this, you believed to this, and now you're saying something else. And um, so it creates accountability. And the entire internet Christianity is one fad after another. You know, I, I always want to tell the guys, like, these guys that are always obsessed with this or that sort of eschatological moment, blood moons or whatever. Can we screenshot this and talk about, like, when it doesn't happen and the next 10 don't happen? Like, how many times do you have to be wrong to say you're not thinking about this right? How many prophecies have to not come true? And, you know, and I just think about um, how when you're in a good church, it just works its way to the Bible, how stabilizing it is in your life. Yes. You know. Yeah. And I thank you for saying that, because that's, that's one of the hard things to witness. And yes, of course, we need to be taking on feminism. Yes, of course, we need to be taking on cultural issues. Yes, of course, we need to be taking on political issues. Yeah. But the fullest expression of your of your Christianity is in the battles that you're conducting in an online space. Like you're missing the heart of the faith. You're missing it completely. And yeah, you might you might even be a truly a professing believer. You might even be regenerate, but you're missing the real spiritual meat of the faith in favor of a daily trend. And certainly I've discovered that in myself, like mea culpa, you know, the introduction to the Westminster Confession of Faith last year, it was actually a Pastor David Reese who, who introduced me to that. And since I've been reading that and exploring that, it's been such- Are you going to David's church? Is that where you go? No, I've been, I've been a few times. I've, I've stopped into some of the morning sermons. Uh, he's, he's, he's a sharp guy. Very sharp. Yes, I've learned, I've learned a, a ton from him, yeah. a ton from him. So, um, but reading, reading the Westminster Confession has been absolutely transformative for, for me and my faith and the Bible every day, grounding me in the actual process, practice, orthopraxy of being Christian when I throw my phone out the window and, and so that I don't get caught up in trends and can root my day-to-day -day life in something far more substantial. And I just, I don't see that, that conversation is not sexy. That doesn't sell. Nope. You know what I mean? It doesn't retweet well, but... Nope. Is, is the faith entirely about what can be retweeted or is it about the process of becoming conformed? You know? I have a metaphor for you I've been thinking about. Um, <clears throat> I've been thinking about this a lot because I got fat this past year. Um, <laughs> not that I was skinny ever before. Um, uh, I've always been a big guy, had lots of muscles. Last time I was skinny was probably like 23 or whatever. But I was a football player, so I was built like one. But, you know, dealing with my mom's death and everything last year, you know, just, yeah. it was like super stressful. And, and it wasn't like just overnight. Like there was months of trouble before that. I was so I'm, I'm trying to make some real lifestyle changes again. And it was this idea of hyperbolic. Uh, what's it called, man? I just was reading about this in a book here. This is a uh, here into weird stuff, too. It's called it's, just, it's a really simple. I was working my way through a book called uh, The One Thing. <clears throat> oh, yeah, hyperbolic discounting. So hyperbolic discounting is just basically an idea that the, uh, the further away a reward is, the less motivated it is, right? And, and the closer it is, the more motivated it is. So, like, let's say I was going to give my sales staff $10,000 at the end of the year. 
were $700 at the end of every month if they hit their numbers. So $8,400 in a year. Most people would say, can I have the $700 a month? Right? Because that reward's more immediate. Okay. Sure. So uh, weight loss, like say carnivore, you can lose a ton of weight really quick in like three months on carnivore. Carnivore is pretty hard to sustain long-term. Some people can do it, but you read guys like David Atia on it. And he, he was like a pretty pro keto person. He just doesn't think keto works long-term for lots of people. Mm-hmm. I like carnivore because I always lose like 30, 40 pounds. The real issue though is um, maintenance, right? So you have this sort of corrective phase and then you have a maintenance phase. What I see happens to a lot of new converts is they jump in and listen to hours of books on tape, right? They get Canon Plus and listen to everything. They get by all these books. They read all this stuff. They're listening. They subscribe to all these podcasts and the amount of content that these books take it all in. And, and now they're ready to talk and they're, they're throwing around reconstructionism and, and words that most Christians don't learn it's like 10 years into their walk or 15 years into their walk. They jump all in and do this. Like it's very rewarding at first, but it doesn't, if it's not followed by a steady maintenance phase of read your Bible, pray, go to church, fellowship, then you'll, you'll see these people go through these dramatic changes and get sucked right back into the world, sucked right back to the same habits. And um, because much like a lot of things, the, the rewards of walking with Christ, um, they, they're, they're uneven. There's hard times. There's hard times in this life. And, and uh, it's, I've just been thinking about that a lot lately, where you, I'm, I'm watching what I would call like spiritual crash diets. And even in good stuff, if it doesn't have, so look, here's the thing, do your carnivore, lose your 40 pounds, but you better have a maintenance plan that you can like do afterwards. You want to do all, you want to do a deep dive on this issue or that issue. Awesome, dude, do it. But also be part of a church and also have stable practices in your life. Um, it Because really it is the person like that has those stable practices that get the long-term results. Mm-hmm. And one reason I know so much isn't because not because I'm especially smart. I have just been reading and been in the church. I've missed church maybe 14 times in since walking with Christ in 26 years. So 26 times 52, and I've missed a Sunday service 14 times. I am in church no matter what, and uh, the only time I'm not there is like if I couldn't find one at all because I'm in some like in the middle of nowhere place. Or I was like super sick and I'm like leaking something. I don't want to be around people. Um, and and so just walking with the Lord, hearing sermon after sermon after sermon, reading through the Bible year after year after year, all these things accumulate and they make you really strong. And there's nothing that you can, there's nothing that replaces that except time, time walking with God. And I think about if you want to continue to push the metaphor between diets and health a little, maybe to the edge of it. Um, <laughs> I think about like guys like Atia, who like their big thing is uh, is about lean body mass, right? So this is what predicts your longevity. And it's part of the problem with a lot of diets is that you will lose weight, but you sacrifice lean body mass, right? Sure. And and so that makes you weaker in the long haul, more frail. 
and, and, and probably will live a, a less, a, not as long of a life and certainly not as quality of life. Some of these things that people get into, like here, I'll just go all in. I cannot stand the obsession with aliens and angels and all that stuff. Can't stand it. Okay? Same. Um, and there's, there's a reason to speak to it in the way that cultish does here and there. But I don't think it uh, contributes to spiritual lean body mass. I don't think it makes you stronger on the whole, right? I think you spend all your time on a subject that is relatively speculative, right? You can say you can say some things about angels. You can make some deductions here and there, but there's a reason why it's never been the main focus in the Christian experience. Something that we acknowledge. There's things like it is a little concerning that modern systematic theologies like Burkhoff don't say almost anything about angels. But if you go look at um, like Calvin's Institutes, he says quite a bit. So I do think there is a like a rationalism sort of deistic stuff maybe slipping in uh, like through osmosis. But but the reason we don't talk about a lot of that stuff is because we can't go beyond what Scripture says, right? Then we're moving into unhelpful speculations more and more. And I think um, the boring stuff, ordu salutis, like what does it mean to be saved? What, how do you apply the Ten Commandments, the Lord's Prayer? Uh, what's, what's good church government look like? The more you understand that and live that out, that makes you strong and last. It keeps you from—you watch these Christians jump from tradition to tradition. Like this week, they're a Presbyterian. Now they're Eastern Orthodox. Now they're back to being a Baptist again. Now they're not really sure. Maybe the Roman Catholic Church was right all along. Whoa, slow down, dude. Yeah. Like if you're driving a car and you throw the wheel this way— and then you overcorrect, so you then throw the wheel this way, you turn on your side, and bop, 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 right? That's what's going to happen to these people. As they make quick lefts, quick rights, they're going to lead to a sort of spiritual wreck in their life where just the steady, eddy, plodding away. Every once in a while, you sprint. But anytime someone sprints, you take a, a breather afterwards. So if you want to do a deep dive from time to time, I'll, I'll do that. I'll get really really obsessed with something and I'll, I'll go deep on it. But I, I, I'm trying to get people back to read your Bible, pray, study old documents that have stood the test of time, like different confessions and show up to church. And all these guys, they, they'll, they'll have podcasts that get big or Twitter accounts that gets, gets followings and all that stuff. But if there's not stability in their life, if they don't have some good spiritual lean body mass, it all falls apart a few years down the road, if not sooner. And longevity, walk with the Lord, finish the race set before you. You know what I mean? That's what this is about. Yes. Yes. One of the There's things. What's that? There's a, I pre, no, I appreciate it. And I completely agree uh, because I watch a lot of men um, start flirting with Roman Catholicism and Eastern Orthodoxy. And I, I get a lot of those guys in my DMs. Hey, I just have some questions. And then inevitably it's not questions. But I, I think that what I think what appeals about these these uh, these churches is that they have they have something weighty to them like tradition or liturgy or practice or orthopraxy. It's like it feels substantial. And the reason they're not finding that in an evangelical Protestant churches is that these churches have stopped teaching systematic theology. So men's minds are looking for something to take apart and look at and and do a deep dive into. And so they find traditions and church fathers and saints and all and and angels and aliens. And it's like, well, 
why don't you just pick up a book of systematic theology and see how God works? Let's take a look at that. But sure, you don't find churches that give this. So people fall into distraction, of course, especially with the apocalyptic news cycle. It just feels like a trap to really, that a very seductive way for the world to drag men away from the faith they say that they're professing. And also, like, you know, obviously you can develop a lot of influence and status and yep. by doing that, as opposed to just boring, solid confessionalism. But that's where the that's where the ground is. Hundred percent. That's what we need a resurgence. And so what we call it out here at East River, we got a podcast coming out. And I don't know when we'll get this done. Uh, it's not. Thankfully, it's not just my project, or that would hmm. would never happen. Uh, called Blue Collar Confessionalism. And why we call it Blue Collar Confessionalism is not just because it's for blue collar people, but the idea is that it's a confessionalism that gets its hands dirty. Like we're in, we're interested in knowing scripture and applying it and knowing these key doctrines. And we want to bring back the stability to the people so they're not being um, led, you know, thrown to and fro by every winds of doctrine, you know, every fad and trend. Mm -hmm. So that's funny because I was saying the other day that there, there's something very blue collar in a way about the gospel itself. Right. There's something very, there's something like I was kind of making a joke that like Jesus didn't have like educated men kind of following him around because they probably would have been tripping out over all the theological implications of walking with God and would have missed the very real work that's right in front of them. Right. That's probably how I would have been. And so there's a way in which like get down and, and the way that we live in the world matters so much as opposed to getting out of a life of the mind getting out of our heads like get down get down dirty with what's actually going on and don't just read the bible let the bible read you and then make changes that are not sexy you will be confronted with your sin mm. pride anger arrogance but that's the stuff that you got to work on not fighting these battles out there in the public square there's time for that for sure yeah. But if you're not managing your own house, meaning within your own self, your own soul yeah. first, everything else is going to fall apart. How can you rule others if you won't rule yourself, right? And, I, and, and a lot of times we go, a lot of people are attracted to online because it's a place where they can be potent when they feel impotent at home. Mm. And uh, that's not what everyone's doing. But what I would, you know, I'm not here trying to say that's what is behind everyone on, on Twitter or Facebook. Sure. I just would say it could be very tempting to talk a big game online that you don't live. And it's, it's why I, I don't plan to write. It's good to be a father um, or good to be a dad until I have um, a grandchild that's communing at a church somewhere. I feel like if I haven't, if I haven't produced a father myself, that's good. I don't really want to write on fatherhood. These guys that write on parenting and they've got like kids under 10, I just laugh at them. I just think, give me a break. Like kids, you've barely, you, you're just started this, started this journey. Trust me. Um, and so I think it's important that, you know, Aaron Wren says, uh, live not by lies is one of his principles. So Aaron Wren won't write about things that he's not an expert in, or he doesn't really live. And I think that's a good rule. Um, and, and, and that's a problem we have in this sort of where everyone wants to be an influencer today or, 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 or at least under the influence of influencers. It's, it's not great. It's not a good place to be. So what we need is people that will get not worldly but earthy, connect to the earth. And, and good biblical doctrine makes you, um, uh, like you said, get dirty. Mm-hmm. 
Men, if you're pursuing physical fitness to any meaningful degree, you know one thing, you need a trainer. No matter whether you're starting out or leveling up, a trainer is the guy who can help you get there with personalized advice, not just a PDF and an occasional reply to your tweets. I know this firsthand because I have a trainer I work with in person every week. He's a good friend I've known for more than three years. We met back at the start of COVID in the same Telegram fitness group that ultimately led me to start the Renaissance of Men. Since then, he and I have walked a long road together, including going from being secular to becoming Christian. Now we live in the same city and even attend Apologia together. So we've got history. Today, following his own remarkable story of redemption, He's a husband, small business owner, and faithful brother in Christ who inspires me, and I couldn't be happier to officially recommend him to you today. His name is Sean O'Brien, and you can visit his outstanding new website at o'brienfitnesslifestyle.com, linked in the show notes, and there you can find out more about him and what he does to help men and women get fit for God's kingdom. That includes online monthly coaching, in-person coaching, and custom gym builds for your home, business, or garage. I'll read you the exact words I wrote in my testimonial on Sean's site. Quote, I've been working out my whole life, but it wasn't until I met Sean that I started training, and that changed everything. I've made more progress with Sean in a year than I did on my own in the previous three years combined. Sean is patient, direct, and responsive. And most of all, he's a kingdom builder who believes that God's kingdom lives in the strong, healthy bodies of godly men and women. If we're gonna win down here, that's where it begins. If you give him half a chance, Sean will help you win. He did for me, hallelujah. And I mean it, which is why Sean is also the head trainer for the Renaissance of Men and the guy I send my clients to. I keep telling men to stop lone wolfing it, thinking they can do it on their own. And that's especially true in fitness. So now at the start of the year, sign up with Sean. You can visit O'BrienFitnessLifestyle.com to find out more. Again, visit O'BrienFitnessLifestyle.com, and that's O'Brien with an E, to find out more and get fit for God's kingdom today. And I'll see you under the barbell. I'm glad you mentioned It's Good to Be a Man. Uh, I really enjoyed the documentary as well. And that's kind of where we met was in this sort of masculinity manosphere kind of space. And yep. both of us have kind of made an exit of, of that world. And bit, yeah. so let's, yeah, let's, let's talk a little bit about uh, a little bit about not necessarily the exit, but where you're planning to go now. I know that you're relaunching. It's good to be a man podcast. I think it's, this is foster is what it's called and sort of taking things in this new kind of practical kind of direction for, for listeners. Yeah. So I looked at It's Good to Be a Man as a project that had a beginning and an end that I was doing for a friend. It's like building, it's like some friends get together and they, you know, they, uh, they rebuild a car or a boat. Well, Nod and I got together and wrote a book and started a podcast. So we knew it was a project and it came to an end. And I had a bunch of content that I didn't really know where to put it. And I, I just, I, I love the idea of like real tight brands but those are hard to do. So I thought, well, let's just do This Is Foster. That's my handle on, on social media in most places. And that'll kind of be a catch-all for why I do things, whether I do an interview or I do a Q&A episodes. But one of the main stuff I've been doing of recent, and I'm, I'm late this week, but this week's episode will be out, but uh, um, is to do a short, like, 10-minute episode on some issue. And usually an issue that you would see in like a self-improvement book. 
but look at it from a Christian biblical perspective. So ambition, sleep, habit formation, right? Meditation, uh, speech, uh, margin, delegation, time management, that sort of stuff. Because I, I found a lot of, after we did It's Good to Be a Man, a lot of guys wanted like practical, really practical stuff. And we, we focused little, little heavier, big ideas, kind of big principles. Uh, there's a couple practical chapters, but, but on the whole, I think it was more about laying down theological principles. So in this, this is Foster allows me to kind of give people that sort of content that they've been asking for and things that as, as a, uh, just a leader in a church and a business that I have to think through myself, right? So that's what This is Foster is. Then we have We Made People that Em and I got to get back to. It's just my mom, the whole thing with my mom last year, totally put that project aside. But that's, Emily and I recorded, I forget how many episodes, like six so far. And they're pretty long. They're like about an hour, hour and 15 minutes. And it's just us, we just talk about like some stage in our marriage. So the first episode is about us almost getting divorced and, and and how we didn't get divorced. And then about each kid. So it's really just us telling a story through each kid. So um, first episode was us being scared of having kids and deciding to have kids. And then what happened with Hudson and then are working our way through, we're working our way through almost going bankrupt. And, and just, I, I just think when I listen to a lot of marriage podcasts and family podcasts, it's like, we're awesome. Everything we do is awesome. And once you'd be awesome like us and buy our stuff. And I thought, what if we did a podcast where we're like, we're happy, but this was really hard. And we made lots of dumb decisions and we know what we know now because we tap danced on a lot of landmines on our way to here. And what if it was just a podcast that was honest uh, about our failings without glorifying them? Just like, yeah, that was a really bad decision. Wish I hadn't done that. And uh, one reason we have, we are on the verge of talking about the death of my daughter. Um, so Nicaea died about 13 years ago. Um, and just in the middle of all that stuff with my mom, it was just too much for us to, I think, emotionally do. But so that those are the two podcasts that I, I've worked on. This is Foster. That's almost weekly, sometimes more than a couple times a week. And then I also wrote out County Before Country, which is just uh, this conference we did on biblical localism. So I just like grabbed all the audio and uh, recorded intros and threw it up online. There's I've got a, a bunch of episodes that didn't load right, so... There's 19 episodes of County Before Country right now. Whenever I load up these next, there'll be 27. Mm-hmm. So I've been working on this sort of projects. Uh, the reason I left the manhood as a space is I wanted to be allowed to talk about other things yeah. that were off brand, so to speak. Um, mm-hmm. And also, it just makes you a target of crazies. Makes you a target of crazy feminists on one side and then a target of like crazy anti-feminists on the other side. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I've got, I, I don't can't tell you how many times that everyone's told me that my kids aren't my kids. Like my wife, <laughs> I'm just a cuck, right? Like this is something these guys do. And I'm like, have you, have you seen my kids? <laughs> right? Like, I mean, maybe they're not Emily's kids, but my genes, for better or worse, have 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 won. They're definitely my kids. But there's these guys out there that's like, no one's happy. Every woman's cheating on every man, right? Yeah. That's like their take. Like, no, nah, dude, you, you spend too much time in the red pill, too much time online. 
No, there are happy marriages. And then feminists like, well, when I look at his wife's eyes, you can just see the emptiness in them. <laughs> and you're like, my wife just laughs so hard at it. Yeah. She's like, I don't know what they're talking about. You become this target of crazies on every side, man. And who wants that? Like I've had, I've had guys threaten me. I've had feminists say that, you know, uh, try to rescue my wife, send her messages. Like I can, I know you're in trouble. We're here for you. We can get you out, <laughs> you know, and twice. Yeah. And so, yeah. And my wife will send back hilarious messages that she'll send to me. But, um, uh, I don't, that, that space in that space a couple of years ago, you could just see that the word said, you know what? I'm going to show everyone how depraved these people are. And the the number of bisexual guys, you know, so many of these guys are bisexual. And look, if you repent of being a bisexual and all that stuff and get new life in Christ, praise praise God. But these guys, like, first off, aren't Christians. And second off, like, who knows if they even have repented of these things. And they really are just like, oh, wow, I was making all this money doing the sexually depraved stuff, but that dried up. Maybe if I rebrand myself as a conservative influencer, you know, and it was like one after another. And I was like, I, didn't, I don't want to be part of this. I came here to be a missionary, to, to preach the gospel to men. Um, uh, thanks to things like the 21 Convention, I was able to do that and given qu- quite a bit of freedom, um, which I'm thankful for. And uh, I, I said what I had to say. I got to a lot of people. I, I'm not interested in being um, a paid influencer. I just like having influence and, uh, and be able to uh, point the way to Jesus and call people back to Scripture. So I'm glad I'm out of it, and I, I'm way more happy with doing things like this as Foster. I, I'm glad I got involved, but, you know, get out, right? It's, I, don't, I didn't want my time in the manosphere to be like the last season of The Office, you know, which is not funny right. anymore. Yeah. It's not like, Hey, you took a good thing and, and then you just, you dragged it out too long. It's just like, there's a time to like, it's time to leave. I've, I've, I've done my part. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm very grateful for my time in that world. Certainly I got to meet many of the, many of the men in the manosphere in that era, you know, meet them personally, their families, their stay at their homes and, and everything like that. So meet them in person working on my documentary and, you know, um, praise God, uh, you know, the thing that I really wanted to happen was to put out this documentary and I was spared from that because uh, so many different men who had put forth this image of themselves, which I think was genuine at the time, different aspects of their character surfaced yeah. and really made a meaningful negative impact on their lives. I think there's a, I think that documentary is going to happen, Will. I think uh, it's going to happen. It's just going to be a different documentary than the one you set out. I think, you know, I think it's going to be... Uh, Think of think of five years from now, you know, the of the truth about everybody, the truth that will come out. And I, I, I think there's a story to be told, but we'll see what the Lord has, you know, in store for you. I hope so. I mean, I conducted those interviews straight up. I conducted yep. them straight up. No gotcha questions. So I'm very grateful to have captured that. And still... You know, as I tweeted the other day, um, I was not a ju- as good a judge of character as I thought I was. But to be fair, it was less than a year after I had been baptized. I knew basically nothing about the Christian faith at that time and didn't have the tools to understand. I'm grateful for my time in there, and I'm grateful to have met you in that world. And of course, as, as I started out by saying, you've had an enormous influence on me through your recommendations and guidance. And it is time to move on to to more real, grounded, and sincere things, even about masculinity. Because that was it was that conversation that led me to Christ, 
because where do we actually root masculinity if not someplace transcendent? And where are you going to put it that's transcendent? After all my time in the New Age world exploring Eastern religion, you can't root it there at all. Only place, the last place, okay, I'll, I'll look at Christianity. May, they're speaking about masculinity and they're speaking about evil. This is the last place. If it's not here, I don't, I can't find it anywhere. And so that led me to Christ, and that's been a journey all of its own. But it is time to to move on from that discussion. And yet, there are a lot of people that are going crusading now into the anti into the the anti the anti Christian space, like a lot of anti red pill people. And that's like, oh yeah, bring it on, man, bring it on. Yep, I, I that's what I say. Like, uh, go ahead and tell us about how great depravity is, and let's let's uh, revisit this in a couple of years. You know, um, I, you know, we, this is crazy guys that are saying, uh, marriage is bad. No, it's not. Marriage is wonderful. Well, most marriages end in divorce. No, they don't. That's not how math works. That's not true. You know, uh, certainly not most Christian marriages. All you have to do is just add like attending religious services, like three out of four times a month. And it drops down well below 30%. Like if, if you, certain Protestant marriages, like if you if you filter down, you can get down to a huge portion of them, like being under ten percent divorce rate. In other words, mm-hmm. more than ninety percent of them uh, are successful. And I so I, I think uh, there's that's I think I'm going to write. It's good to be a husband with non. We've got a lot of content, but one reason I I've I've kind of come back around, like maybe it's time to get that done after this book this book on the death uh, death of a child is because marriage is under such attack right now yeah. and it, it is the most important relationship you'll have in your life outside of your relationship with God. You know, not that your relationship with your father, mother, brothers, and all that stuff doesn't matter, but it's where you experience companionship, uh, protection and sexual immorality and having children. Um, when you don't have that, that's, that's very difficult. And I think these guys, it's interesting to see the liberal feminists glorifying singleness and the godless hedonists glorifying singleness. Mm-hmm. And they're like, man, the devil's coming at this from every different direction. And having been a pastor, I know very well that if you're single, you don't have the gift of celibacy. And it's it's hard. Like people can be faithful and they can work through it. It's difficult. Um, but it's very difficult uh, to, to be single. And especially as you get older, it gets lonely. And I I, I think it's, let's let them say all the things they want to say. They're just like their pagan predecessors and the reality of their life will, like, I think about people like Pearl Davis. How can you talk about, what what is Pearl going to say when she's 30? Where is this all going to (laughs) go? Like, all you got to do is just like, you know what? I don't have anything to say about her. I just, I'll just wait for four years or fresh and fit. That's all right. I'll just wait another couple of years. I can tell this is like going to run its course. You know, or guys like Rolo Tomasi. We we saw Rolo like try to be kind of a a helper of men, maybe like eight to ten years ago or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And now he is just absolutely full of himself and just wants to be praised and says crazy stuff online all the time. Mm-hmm. So, uh, that one woman calls her uh, the him the grandmother of the uh, of the manosphere. <laughs> <laughs> so I just thought that was super funny, but but he's like showing himself like, hey, maybe you should have just been an author and stopped at one or two books, and all this water finds its level, and I'm not worried about this stuff as long as we're out there preaching the truth and setting up flares, 
God will work through it and bring people. And uh, the more darkness that's out there, like the brighter our flare is going to be. So we just got to keep, keep going at it. You know, I absolutely agree. I agree. I think uh, we've watched the manosphere pull its house down around its own ears and a lot of the red pill space is going to do, going to do the same thing on their own. Like they, they, and so, and so will feminism, like, you know, less the Lord build the house, they labor in vain who build it. And there are lots of houses that are up right now that people are just going to pull down. And my whole approach is like, just get clear, like just walk away and go hold the light for the refugees. Like I was saying to, I was saying some friends the other day, you know, don't, yell at the captain of the Titanic on the deck, yell at the captain from the lifeboat, right? Like make sure that people see you offering an alternative and don't go crusading as the thing is going to go down under its own weight. But again, that's not sexy. That's not, it's not Westminster confession of faith doesn't even sound sexy, but it's real. It's solid. And And, and it's also really, it's warm. It's warm and it's helpful. It's just, like you said, the word confession, catechisms, creeds, none of that sounds. Westminster. Yeah, that sounds like uh, maybe they make a good good brand of oatmeal or something, but it doesn't doesn't sound like something you want to read. Yeah. Well, I know we've just got a few minutes left, but I just wanted to get, if you had any practical advice you know, for, for men and women, because you, you, the, one of the great things about it's good to be a man was the discussion of gravitas, which is such an important characteristic. You know, we talked about solidity and warmth and I associate those with gravitas as well. And that was such a, such a great contribution to the dialogue. So if you have practical advice for say young men, you know, or even young fathers, uh, related to the subject we're talking about and, and also women, because marriage is hard. And it seems like there are a lot of women that say that they would like marriage. And when they get confronted with the reality of, no, you're committed to a lifelong thing that is going to be difficult, that they peace out and go do their individual easier seeming single thing. But getting people to step into the hard, challenging, but sanctifying acts of life. So if you could speak to a little bit of that for both men and women, uh, I'd be very blessed by that, I think. Sure. Well, so Gravitas... Roman, Roman virtue <clears throat> that is, uh, means weight, seriousness, or you're just serious about life. Not like serious in a sort of self-serious way where you never crack a smile or whatever. Uh, but you're someone that carries themselves uh, appropriate. They, they, they understand what matters, what doesn't matter. They have weight to themselves. And the way a Christian gets gravitas, right? Scripture talks about grave men or serious men. The way you become a grave person in in a good sense is by, again, just building character by applying discipline to your life. You throw yourself into life. Uh, You know, I was talking to Joel Webin about this this morning. Joel's a friend of mine. And I was just telling him that as a pastor, you, you get more gravitas in part just because you deal with so much death. Yeah. You know, I deal... You know, today, a pastor I knew, I found out that he and his two kids burned to death last night in a house fire. I got that text message while I talking to Joel this morning. Oh um, you know, a good friend of mine, I uh, baptized him about, about six weeks ago, something like that. And he flew back home to the UK where he was now living and died of cancer like two days after getting back home. And I was helping him find a church. And... You know, his mom calls me bawling. Is it okay that I'm mad at God? I said, well, it's okay that you're mad. It's not God's fault, right? Like, God's good. God saved your son. And uh, what if he had not saved your son? This would be an even more devastating time, right? Um, But when you 
spend time with people and you walk with people through their ups and downs, uh, it, it brings a sort of sobriety to you and a sort of weight to you that can't be purchased through Gumroad, that can't be learned through podcasts, right? right? That happen by living life in, in the context of a local Christian fellowship. And so I would say the way you get gravitas is just by giving yourself to spiritual disciplines and by having real fellowship. Like you want to build gravitas. When guys are like, like at East River, we have a lot of families that move to our church um, to join it. So you get this opportunity to help people move in, lift a bunch of heavy stuff, carry it upstairs. I hate when people live on the second floor, but, <laughs> but you know, you get to move uh, move stuff with them and it's hard and you sweat together and you get to know each other. And as you just spend time together with people, you get involved in when they're having trouble in their marriage or trouble with their in-laws or trouble with their parents or they get fired from a job or whatever. When you're spending time with folks, those experiences, they shape you, right? And that's what Scripture says. Scripture says in James chapter 1, Count it all joy, brothers, when you fall into various trials, knowing that through them, God is perfecting you. And God adds, uh, adds to you, uh, he adds weight to you, he grows you, he matures you in your character as you go through these trials. Uh, so I would just say my practical advice is I'm just going to circle right back to where I started. Like, you need to get in a church you need to be reading your Bible and prayer and spending time with people. Well, I don't know anyone at the church. Invite yourself over, right? Say, hey, I'd love to get to know you guys. Is there, could I have lunch or dinner with you guys sometime? I'd just love to. I, and if you're a single guy, I always tell single guys, like, you got to be a little pushy. Mm-hmm. And uh, don't be too weird, but say, hey, I, I just want to be around married couples with kids. And I, I didn't grow up in a good home. And I just want to see it. Or a guy that you want to, you know, you, you admire and. You like the things in his life. Say, hey, can we can we grab coffee sometime? And me just ask you some questions. You know, uh, I'm not looking for uh, a long term relationship necessarily. I just have some things I'd like to think. Like, spend time with people, get involved in your fellowship, and then give it time. Give it time. Time is the friend to the diligent man. It's, it's the enemy to the to the sluggard. And if you're if you're giving it time, you you'll you'll change. I sucked, man, as a 20-something. I can't believe anyone was my friend. It's amazing. I was intense. Intense and rude, really, really sharp with my tongue. But just through suffering, like, I it has grown me so much. Uh, it's grown me in, like, a godly sort of sympathy with other people. Like, I can relate. This is hard. Life is hard, man. Um, but also to also have a backbone enough to tell people if you don't, if you keep doing that sin, it's going to destroy you. You need to stop. So you want gravitas, live out your life a week at a time with other Christians and practice the spiritual disciplines. Mm-hmm. And for women as well. Yeah. Yeah. Men, women, same, same thing, same thing. And ladies, I always hear ladies say, you know, where are the tightest two women at? They're busy. They're busy. They're busy being productive. And loving kids and loving their grandkids. So if you want discipleship from them, ask for it, right? Everyone's like, where are the mentors? The people that you want to be mentored by are living extraordinarily productive lives and they're busy. If you want in, you got to ask, 
right? Some of them will I'll go chase you, but sometimes, like in my life, I, I, I people always say, oh, you're so busy. I don't want to bother you. I'll tell, I am busy. I am extremely busy, but I'm busy for the things I care about. And some of the things I care about is the young men in my church. If they ask to get together, I'll find time. I'll move my schedule around. And so if you're not getting mentorship right now in your church, um, don't whine about it. Ask, ask, right? Ask women to get together and just and start like, don't say, can we get together every week for a year? <laughs> don't do it. It's a long, it's a big commitment. You know, like I, I, uh, I don't, I couldn't personally do that. But if you say, Hey, can we get together and talk about something? Yeah, I'll make time. I can. Mm-hmm. So uh, make time uh, women to ask other women and, and see, see what the Lord brings your way. Beautiful. Thank you so much for that. It's, it's so, it's so real that um, again, to bring it all the way back as these are things that we have to do in our offline life, put the phone away, find someone that you can sit face to face with, talk face to face with, spend time, you know, in person with, instead of merely accepting, you know, spiritual discipleship online through podcasts. And that includes me. So um, I, I really appreciate, I really appreciate that advice. Where would you like to send uh, men and women to find out more about you and what you've got uh, going on right now? This is Foster on Twitter. I also own thisisfoster.com. Okay. So I'm actually getting ready to get rid of all my paid subscriptions as of today. So you can no longer support me in the ministry. It is all free. So you can, I'm just going to, I've just decided to uh, refund everyone up to this point on on Substack. So go subscribe to Substack. Uh, this is Foster. You'll get it all free from here on out. That's awesome. But may I ask why you decided to do that? I mean, it seems fairly obvious the answer, but just out of curiosity. I hate monetization of pastors' social media. I, I wouldn't ever. I'm not here to pass judgment on people. Uh, there's times where Paul said, I'm not taking your money. Right. And I've just decided I'm not taking people's money right now because it would hinder the work I'm trying to do. And uh, I, the, the charge of being a grifter, one is it, it means nothing anymore. If you have influence, people call you a grifter. But there are people out there that are like living off other people. They're monetizing the loneliness. They're monetizing fatherlessness. They're monetizing the lack of a church. They're, monet- they're, they're being gurus and not being pastors. And uh, plus five bucks, man, a month. Like, I don't, I don't need that. Right. It's amazing when, when like, here's the truth. If someone pays you, like, let's say you charge someone like $200 to coach them or something. Like that leads to so many emails and follow-up calls. Like my time's worth more than that. It it won't just be an hour. It'll turn into way, way, way more. And I just rather give it to people free. There's no strings tied to it. Um, I'm not obligated to be on time because I'm not going to be. Um, and uh, and I don't want to have a transactional relationship with my followers. And I think what we need right now is people that are bulls in the china shop of of evangelicalism. And I intend to be that. I am here not to replace an inherent big Eva. I am here to burn it down. And I think the way, the thing that's been corrupting is celebrity. So uh, I've got some of that. It's never been a goal. Will I use it? I will. But I've stopped speaking at conferences. If I can't drive to it, I'm not doing it. Um, 
I had a family. I got a local church that matters to me more. And conferences, just buy my book. If you want me to come speak on manhood, just buy my book or listen to one of the 75 episodes of It's Good to Be a Man or the stuff I do on, uh, on This is Foster. And if you want to meet me that bad, just drive down to Batavia, you know, grab coffee. Uh, I, I'm not going to participate in that sort of celebrity culture and conference circle stuff anymore. That's not for me. And um, and I don't mind making money by selling books because at least someone gets a book that they can hold and touch, right? And but I, I don't know. I'm just weirded out by all of it. Again, I'm not here to. I just don't want to be owned. I don't like being owned. I like to be free. I enjoy it. I like to be able to say what I want. And someone says I'm going to unsubscribe, and I'll say, "Wow, okay." You know, and I'd say that anyway with those paid subscribers, but now it's all, it's all the more obvious. I just, I just, I think I'm disgusted by everything right now. And I just want to have pastors be pastors. And uh, it's easy for me to tweet here and there. It's usually just things for my sermons. It's easy for me to post my sermon notes. It's almost everything I post on This Is Foster. It's easy for me to get people out of the overflow of my ministry. And since I'm doing a lot of this stuff for my church and my church takes good care of me and so does my day job, why not just, uh, if, if I'm bet, if it's out of the overflow of my ministry, here it is for your charge, man. Do what you want with it. Amen. Amen. I think we need a lot of faithful men serving in that way in the year to come. Be fun. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Michael. This has been, this has been great. God bless. God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Renaissance of Men podcast. Visit us on the web at renofmen.com or on your favorite social media platform at Ren of Men. This is the Renaissance of Men. You are the Renaissance.